Next Chapter Podcasts. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at microsoft.com slash AI for all. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. I saw all the, oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, Brady PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramont Plus. This is like a perfect song for beating the shit out of somebody. Rumor spread around, United takes his time, shack outside the game. But we actually had a band together for a little we bit. We did. We did. We started from the Unknown Theater. We had started doing, it was just the comedians would do a stand-up show, and then afterwards we would jam for all hours of the night. And and me and you were like the two guys that kind of led it. And it all started with that Jimi Hendrix 2.0 kid that just showed up out of nowhere and then disappeared just as quickly. I remember that. Remember God. that? Like, he just started, he played guitar one night, and we were all like, we'll all show up next week and play behind you. And he was like, cool. And at one point, I remember he played the guitar with one of the poles that held the unknown theater up. Wow, that is so funny. I haven't thought about that guy in fucking years. And remember, dude. like, he gave you a, like, I was like, man, let's get your number. He's like, cool. And it wasn't even his number. It was like his buddy's <laughs> number that was always with him. He's yeah, like, I, yo, La-, you know, I called him Larry Hendricks after he left. <laughs> but he's like, yo, Larry doesn't have a phone. You're just calling me. And if he's around, I he's remember around. remember that. My God, dude, that is a fucking. Those were a- strange times, bro. It's LaGrange. It's by ZZ Top from their 1973 album, Trace Hombres. It's also number 490 out of 500 on the 500 with Josh Adam Myers. And I am Josh Adam Myers, the king of fleece, the four-legged comedian. How is everybody this beautiful Wednesday? Hopefully it's gorgeous wherever you are. And hopefully you've been following along with me on this journey through Rolling Stone Magazine's top 500 albums list where we go from five honey and each week start shaving off albums all the way down to numero uno. I love you guys. I mean it, man. Thank you to everybody for reaching out and telling me how much you're enjoying this. I know I say that every week, but guys, I would do this if no one was listening. So the fact that we are getting listeners is blowing my fucking mind. I love you. But let's jump into it. Chris Porter, the king and son of of Kansas is my guest this week. He's also one of my oldest friends in stand-up comedy. We met 
at a place called the Unknown Theater, which I don't know if a lot of you have ever heard of this place, but it is one of the most important venues of my life because that's where I met Angelo Bowers. That's where I met Bill Burr. That's where I basically, you know, cut my teeth doing stand-up. But it's also where the goddamn Comedy Jam was created. So this guy named Chris Kovics ran the theater, and there was a comedy show there every Sunday night, and the show was okay. Sarah Tiana, Laura Valdivia, they ran it. And, I mean, I probably talk about this all the time, but the show was okay, but after the show, because the owner of the theater liked to party, comics just poured in, and we would just get fucked up and play music from, like, 11.30 p.m. all the way to 4 a.m. And me and Chris Porter, because not only is he a great comic, he's a phenomenal musician. Me and Chris Porter would fucking lead the whole thing, and we hit it off. And just, you know, he helped me out as as a comedian, took me on my first few shows. And then we started this, like, cover band with me, Angelo Bowers, Brandon Christie, J. Chris Newberg. And we would jam at Brandon's house. And it was this shit, and we still jam. Chris has done the uh, goddamn comedy jam a few times. He comes basically every show. I'd bring him up on stage for the finale because I just fucking love this guy so much. And through my recommendation, he now does CrossFit. Uh, some things about Chris. Not only he's going to be on tour, guys, but his new one-hour special, A Man from Kansas, will be available April 16th on iTunes, Amazon, Dish Network, Comcast, whichever way you guys get whatever, get it, okay? And this guy is hysterical. He's one of my favorite comics to watch on stage, all right? So make sure you get that special when it comes out. This album was a super fun one to do, man. Also, my voice is trashed when we did this interview. I had a viral infection, and it attacked my vocal cords. So it's going to be a little rough sounding. I sound like I gargled a few too many rocks the day we recorded. But I it was the only time I could get together with Chris. So we did tape on the day. I should have waited, but my voice is thrashed. But it's just such a good album. But I left something out when we did this interview, and I want to tell this story before I jump into this, okay? So I have met Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top, Okay. There is a health food store called Irawan here in Los Angeles, right? And I used to go to it all the time. It's super expensive, celebrity shop there. It's a supermarket, but it's also a hangout. And I went there one night before a show so I could use their hot kitchen. They have, like, food, like, health food that you can buy and, like, you know, like $16 for a plate of food. Flood. I don't know what the fuck flood is, but I bought it. And so I went there, and I got my plate of flood. And then I go to wait in the line to check out, right? And as I'm trying to check out, there's this Armenian guy that is screaming at the manager. Just like, buddy, you know, you fucking say we are going to have this and you do not have this and blah, blah. He's like screaming at the manager and screaming at the manager. And then waiting to check out right behind the Armenian guy is Billy Gibbons from ZZ Top with the most annoyed look on his face. And the funny thing was, in his arms was a toilet plunger and some toilet paper. Which means the Jay Larson joke has come to life. When you have to buy a plunger, something is going on that is serious in your household. And that was the first time I met Billy Gibbons at Irwan buying a plunger, guys. 
Don't forget to listen to the end of the podcast where I'm going to be spotlighting a new artist that was directly influenced by ZZ Top. Guys, check out our new artist. Listen to the end of the podcast because these artists and songs are incredible, and I'm trying to launch careers here, people. Also, rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500 on whatever platform you guys get podcasts. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. And for all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Are you guys ready to get into some serious Southern rock? Because here we go with number 490 out of 500 with Trace Hombres Chris Paul Hunter, Paul Hunter, Chris. That is right, ladies and gents. What's up, buddy? Hey, buddy. Dude, we've been trying to do this for so long, and we finally did it. And uh, you showed up on a goddamn skateboard. I did. (laughs) It's electric, boogie, woogie, woogie. It's fucking dope, dude. Uh, So go ahead, tell me about your history with music because since i've known you uh-huh. we uh when we really met it was at the unknown which you know you were an advanced stand-up comic having just done uh last, last comic, comic standing yeah and but the, really it was like the jam that we had so tell yeah. me about like how music has grown for you and what you listen to and and how that's changed over the years so my uncle's my uncle was in a band when I grew up, so, and they are now too. So music was always a huge part of my family, especially on my dad's side. Yeah. And then... Um, what bands in specific... Because like specifically, since I've known you, it's been the Black Crows. Absolutely. Like It's it's like a Southern rock kind yeah, of flair. Because sure. you're from Kansas City. Yeah. And so, which, is a, which is a very like bluesy town. Very much so. And uh, so like as a... Very little kid, it was pop music, and then one of the things that happened as a child that really shaped my music was my dad, for whatever reason, had to make all the mixtapes for his 20-year reunion, and so he (laughs) borrowed his friend's immaculate record collection, and so when they would go out, while my dad had this, I would just play all these Motown and Atlantic records, so I'm way, like, if you go look at my records now, it's all very soul- and that and that's really where it's all based is soul and and I obviously like rock music because I'm a white person, and uh, <laughs> I feel like it's in our blood. We have to, yeah, we have to fucking like it. So, but the reason I like Southern rock is because it is a perfect mixture of soul and blues and gospel. Like it's all intertwined in that. Yeah. So th- yeah, so that's where all that comes from. And then being introduced to the Black Crows by my father, only because I loved Otis Redding. And they did Hard to Handle, and he yeah. was like, you should listen to this band. They do Hard to Handle, and he played Hard to Handle for him. I was like, these are a bunch of white, even at 12, I was like, these are a bunch of white boys playing Otis Redding. Yeah. I don't like this, but I liked all the other songs. Oh, yeah. Like, Hard record. to Handle is probably, and I hate to say this, it's probably my least favorite song on uh, Shake Your Money Maker. For sure. And I've, and I've had the fortune to tell Rich Robinson, I don't like your version of Hard to Handle. Yeah, you're you're friends with the Black Crows. Yeah, that's incredible. And you know what? He was, and he told me what 
Rick Rubin was doing was taking walk this way yeah. and putting that riff to hard to handle. And if you listen to it, it's, it's there. Oh, that's brilliant. I didn't know that. Yeah. But I can hear how they did it. Yeah. Definitely. So, so, so it's always been Southern rock and like, how has it evolved over the years? Like, where is it now? Now it's everything. Like I definitely do Southern rock, but there's a lot of jazz. There's a lot of hip hop, uh, a lot of, Bruno Mars for whatever reason. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I just, as I get older, like you, you, you knew me 10 years ago when I was like, if it's not amazing, you shouldn't fucking listen to it. <laughs> yeah. And now I'm just like, man, if it makes you feel good, God bless you. My, one of my favorite stories is Angelo Bowers, uh, went to your house. You guys were going to, you were going to headline the Irvine improv. Yeah. And he never smoked pot prior to shows because he always like he was one when he got high he was so in his head anyway but you know he's like going on his first uh gig with you and uh he you, you know he sits in your apartment and you're like hey man take a bong hit so Ange takes a bong hit and then he told me that when he got in the car not only is he having a panic attack but you're just blaring the black crows and like you're listening to you know uh southern harmony musical companion which is such a drive fast album. Yeah. And he was like, he said he was scared shitless. And you're just like, I need a remedy, remedy, remedy. <laughs> we actually had a band together for a little we bit. Did. We did. We started from the Unknown Theater. We had started doing, it was just like the Unknown Theater. And I can't stress to you listeners enough, like this podcast, my career is nowhere without that place because it was just a place where comedians would do a stand-up show and then afterwards we would jam for all hours of the night and and me and you were like the two guys that kind of led it and then it was just we started jamming with brandon christie and and it all started with that Jimi hendrix 2.0 kid that just showed up out of nowhere and then disappeared just as quickly i remember that My remember God. that like he just started he played guitar one night and we were all like we'll all show up next week and play behind you and he was like, cool. And at one point, I remember he played the guitar with one of the poles that held the unknown theater up. Oh, I remember that, dude. Oh. I remember. I just remember him having all these swooshy legs. Do you remember that? Like, he was straight up dancing and fucking... Sh wow, that is so funny. I haven't thought about that guy in fucking years, And dude. remember, like, he gave you a... Like, I was like, man, let's get your number. He's like, cool. And it wasn't even his number. It was like his <laughs> buddy's number that was always with him. He's like, yo, Larry, you know, I called him Larry Hendricks after he left, <laughs> but he's like, yo, Larry doesn't have a phone. You're just calling me. And if he's around, I he's remember around that. My God, dude, that is a fucking those were strange times, bro. Like I I'm telling you the I love my life now because I love the security of my life. Absolutely. And I love that I can, you know, I can I can go see Nine Inch Nails. I can afford to do all the things I want to do for sure. But man, oh man, when I was a broke beginning comic and it's me, Ange, and Gerard Carmichael and Byron just going from spot to spot, having no idea how we were going to eat. Yeah. That was the most exciting time of my life. And it, uh, most of it had to do with the unknown and playing music with you. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, I was just as broke. I was just working more and... <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, somehow, but yeah, I, I remember some of those weekends showing up and be like, drinks are on me. And some nights going, yo, you know, can I get a free beer or something? <laughs> I always remember when the first time I met you, you walked by and I was on the other side of the street with Angelo and he goes, oh my God, that's Chris Porter. And like, that was like, I was like, and you looked 
like a straight up rock star. Like, oh yeah, that was what I was do. really you doing. Look like, it. You look like the adult rock star on a day off, but yeah. you used to fucking, it was so rock and roll. Yeah. And your comedy dictates that also, I think, because it's very opinionated. You don't curve to expectations or what people think they're going to do. You are just, this is my opinion, and I fucking stick to it. And I respect that, and that's what real rock and roll is, man. Well, thanks, man. My I pleasure. appreciate I'm that. Gonna, don't worry, dude. I, I'm going to be complimenting you throughout this show. Okay, thank you. Um, all right, well, let's jump into it. Well, you're also a musician. Yeah. And you play guitar. and I you- played drums as a kid, played saxophone in elementary school. Sax? Yeah. And then, like, that just, you know, especially at, uh, you know, in the ninth grade, like, it just wasn't that exciting because there were no, <laughs> there were no prog jazz bands at that yeah. point in your life. So it was like. You were just playing bass notes with the orchestra, and you're like, this sucks. So, And all my buddies had drum sets, so I'd started playing on that. So I quit the band, and I just played drums recreationally. And then the band director in high school cornered me, and he was like, I don't give a shit what you play. I need you in the band. And I was like, cool. I want to play drums. He was like, you're in. And really? I had to learn everything like super quick. and uh, But it was that was a real fun time so in my life. was that – were you – when you were younger, was your intention to be a musician or did you always have the drive that I was going to be a comic? No, like, uh, my uncles were musicians. And so that was kind of like that. I mean, my one uncle's very, both my uncles are successful now in their own right. Uh, one uncle very much. So like he toured around with his Celtic rock band for a long time. Fuck yeah. They just ended 20 years, but they were always the cautionary tale for my mom. Like, look at these guys, you know, uncle, yeah. uncle Jeff's cleaning carpets <laughs> and then playing gigs. Like, is that what you want to do? But yeah, but guess what? I bet they were having the time of their lives and enjoying life. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. My uncle was bagging so many chicks and he was very vocal about it. That's how we know. But once comedy hit and once I got on stage, it was just like, well, this is, I think I can do this. This makes sense. And it just know, feels right. It feel it felt right, and then eventually uh, I got on television, and all questions were they went away. My parents have always been very supportive since I've obviously made a career. But you out still of it. have those aspirations. You still have that music in you. I know. Oh, it absolutely. Because I've, I've I've jammed with you recently, and then you do the goddamn comedy jam. And what this is, I think, why I matched you up with this record because the songs that you've chosen at the jam all have that either like a southern rhythm and blues and that's what i want to say not rock i want to say you've you've done more songs in the rhythm and blues yeah than in anything and then you actually really can sing and you look comfortable up there i mean it's insane like you know you blew people away at moon tower oh well thank you that was that's one of the you know i miss my cover band so much but it's also like it's not a viable possibility with my road schedule sure but those moments that you have me on that stage are like literally my most favorite moments of every year. Thank you, buddy. Yeah, well, there's, thank you. There's more coming. Well, great. Dude, I feel like you and I are going to be sucking each other's dicks by the end of this. <laughs> okay. But let's jump into our record. So okay. it's number 490 out of 500, and it's ZZ's Tops, 1973 release, Trace Hombres. The album is recorded or was recorded in Memphis, Tennessee at Art End Studios and produced by Bill Ham. And ZZ Top consists of... Vocalist, guitarist, Billy Gibbons. Happy birthday. How, it is his birthday That's today, his which birthday. when you told me that blew my fucking mind. I was like, well, we have to tape today. Uh, who's also the band leader, main lyricist, and musical arranger, bassist, vocalist, Dusty Hill, and drummer, Frank Beard. Now, 
Before I asked you to listen to this record, how much did you know about ZZ Top and, you know, what were you expecting from this? I just knew their hits. Uh, wasn't really anything that ever made me want to go deeper. Yeah, I mean, the music is very, like, how do I explain this? Like, trailer music. Do you know what I mean? If, like, if, like I could hear it right now. Here, Peter, put on uh, Give Me All Your Lovin' and I Want to Do a Fake Trailer. Cue it. Boom. He is an ice agent. Give me all your loving. Is a all Mexican. Your hugs and kisses too. She is a Mexican immigrant in a caravan. Together, they're gonna find love. The new movie from Ron Howard, Love Actually Part Nine. All your hugs and kisses too. It's such. It's so cheeseball music. It's like I hate to say that, but all I know is Tush. Yeah. I, I don't think it's cheeseball. I think it sounds cheesy, especially those tracks because they're deep in the 80s at yeah. that point. Because this is what I figured out from this record. Yeah. This is the album where ZZ Top figured out how to be ZZ Top. Sure. And they sure. do it with the first track and they do it with LaGrange. And it's like they finally figured out every ZZ Top kind of sounds the same. Yeah. There's a riff that's very simple, but. You know it as soon as it starts, almost like ACDC a little bit. Yeah, totally. They definitely have a, uh, an ACDC feel. But just that riff, they're, they're riff masters. And and when when Beard gets in that fucking groove, man, he can just set down a pocket. Yeah. And it's like, and that's when they're great. I think ZZ Top before this and for a lot of this record is just a really good blues band. But really with no... Other than Billy Gibbons' voice, really nothing special. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. Grey's Anatomy, the most iconic binge-worthy drama, is back, along with answers to the biggest cliffhangers. Will Teddy survive? Will Joe and Link finally find happiness together? Meredith returns along with fan faves like Arizona. You can now stream every episode of Grey's ever on Hulu and new episodes next day. Watch the season premiere of Grey's Anatomy tonight at 9, 8 central on ABC and stream on Hulu. You know what's funny is when I, I asked you to do this and then I, because I, I wanted to tape a few days prior and you're like, dude, I still got more research to do. Yeah. You were like, I want to, you listened, so you listened to some of the, the album before this. I listened to some of the album before this and there's a track, uh, I think Just Got Paid is on there and it's not even the single. I think yeah. that's just like a, a fan favorite that I think finally got some traction. Yeah. But there's not a lot there and it's, you definitely don't, and you kind of hear like the beginnings of ZZ Tap. But you just really just hear a blues band with a kind of a cool Craig Albany voice. But yes. then Yeah, I believe that. But then, you know, especially this is what I learned about going through all the ZZ Top hits is every ZZ Top hit makes you feel like you've just walked into a bar on a Saturday night. And whether you know it or not, you can buy a fuck ton of cocaine at this bar. 
Like, it's just like that kind of vibe. Yeah, I feel that too. <laughs> like, it's, just it's, like you walk in and you're like, you know what? If we want to buy a pound of cocaine, we can. I just feel it. Well, LaGrange to me is, is not, it's like every song is for driving. Yeah. Every song is like, we were talking about Black Crows. Like, it's just got that, like, when I was listening to LaGrange, like, and I was going to Irvine, I mean, hands down, I definitely kicked it up to, like, 90 miles an hour for a few seconds. It's definitely a song that if I was going to be in a fight, like, I want that song playing in the background, only if I'm going to win the fight. Like, not, like, if I'm getting my ass beat, I don't want LaGrange playing. (laughs) But I definitely, it's like they just have this sound that should be playing at a bar. And if you listen to the lyrics and uh, of a lot of their songs, it's like it was made for those bars with the cage in front of it where people are throwing shit at them. Oh, absolutely. It has that feeling. So let me ask you this. So, like, after your first listen on this record, well, how many times did you listen to it? I would say ten. Ten times? Yeah. Dude, right now... Maybe eight. Maybe eight or nine, but probably... Maybe ten. I think I did about 15. Okay. Um, And to be honest with you, you now have won the award of the most listens, or you're tied with Gareth. Okay. You're tied with Gareth Reynolds. So, from that first listen, like, what stuck out? Uh, The first two tracks, especially the edit between the first two tracks is really cool. Oh, I love that. Which supposedly was a mistake... But like, it's not. But then it, I did research. The, Terry Manning is like, no, I, I worked on that. That was a thing. Yeah, it's, it felt like it flowed. It was, a, it was a little off edit, but it felt like it flowed and it just caught because going from waiting on the bus to Jesus just left Chicago, it, it almost like they go hand in hand, even the meanings of the songs. And I'll bet you on the vinyl, especially on the original pressings, yeah. it, it fits. I have a feeling that little gap in there was from when they ma- remastered it. I believe that. So you're saying the first two songs are your two favorite off the record? No, it's a great start to the record. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you turn on that first track and you're like, yeah, this is ZZ Top. And then they go into Jesus Left Chicago and you're like, this is ZZ Top doing a really cool Chicago blues tune. Yeah. And, and it's fucking awesome. And then I'm into it. And then Beer Drinkers and Hellraisers comes in and I'm immediately kind of like, meh. <laughs> Beer Drinkers and Hellraisers to me is the most ZZ Top song ever. The trading of the vocals, the back and forth, it's almost like they're like a Southern Rock Beastie Boys finishing the sentence, but just the the message in it, it's got cars, it's got drinkers, it's got everything. Yeah. And when I first heard that I was like I was like this is ZZ Top. That's what I was expecting. The rest of the record didn't really remind me of what I knew about ZZ Top because I knew that poppy, like I said, Tush, Give Me All Your Love and Sharp Dressed Man. Yeah. And to me, those songs, I hate to say this, I never really liked. But those songs come 11 years later because that's off that. Eliminator. Yes. I know that, yeah. yeah. And, and it's definitely, but this is their roots. Yeah. So let me ask you this. What song would you leave off the record to make it a perfect record? Uh, beer drinkers and Hellraiser. That's the one you're cutting yeah. at. Uh, only because, like, you're right. The lyrics definitely sound like a ZZ Top song, but it's just it sounds like they're trying to be Sabbathy, and it, it just sounds like they're trying to be a little harder than they are. I believe that. Yeah, and it just and it especially coming out of that blues tune. Maybe if you move it somewhere else, or maybe even open with it. I don't know, but just where it was, it was just so jarring. And every time I listened to it. I even tried to l- just listen to that track and see if it, it got to me. Yeah. And I just, I could, it just, I didn't like it. Really? See, I, I, if I had to leave anything off the record, I would leave Chic. 
Yeah, because it was like it was like ZZ Top hip hop. You know, he's like, I met a sheep in Mozambique. Let's dive into the songs. Let's do that. So okay. Waiting on a Bus is how we open the record, right? Yeah. One thing I loved about that song, because it is a whopper of an opener, is is that the first lyrics off this record are Have Mercy. Yeah. Just It's like setting you up for everything. And it's also a, a simplified, it's really, there's not too much going on in it, but the guitar rift is gold. The solo is gold. And when, as I read the lyrics... What I loved so much, because I didn't know what it was about. I thought it was about a guy getting off work. Yeah. That's what I thought. That's he how says, I took it. Have mercy. Been waiting on the bus all day. I got my brown paper bag and my take-home pay. So I thought it was about a guy getting off work or going to work. He's got his lunch, and he's got his money from his job. But after researching, I found out this song is about a guy leaving prison. Oh. Yes. That's bigger. It's a lot bigger. Yeah. Um, so let me Bigger ask- stakes. Definitely bigger stakes. Let me ask you this. Have you ever been arrested? Yes. Go ahead and tell me a little bit about that. Um, my, We were drunk at a bar, and there was like a weird sconce. How old are you? 27, 28. We were in Kansas City. There was like a sconce, and my cousin was like, look how weak this sconce is. And he, What's a sconce? It's one of those things that holds up a velvet rope. Okay. But we were at a, like a country bar, so it held up like a regular rope. And it was like a wooden thing, and he and he knocked it over, and then he picked it back up. And next thing I know, we're surrounded by security, and they're like, "You guys need to leave." He's drunk. He knocked that over. I was like, "He meant to do that." He was showing me how flimsy it was, and he picked it right back up. And they're like, "No," and they grabbed my cousin, and I was like, "No," and I put hands on. I just grabbed the dude's arm, and then next thing I know, I was being pushed. Like I'm pushing dudes off me, and then I'm on the ground. And uh, they got me for trespassing at a, like this like weird bar district. Trespassing. Yeah. Well, guess what? You got to give me more than four seconds to get off the property because that shit got dropped. <laughs> I didn't. I just. Yeah. But I had to go to the gent. I had to go to the clink for like three hours. Three hours. Anything. So let me ask you this. Would you rather do 30 years, years in jail or die? Oh, die. For sure. Do you think you can make it in prison? At this age, apparently. Uh, uh, Yeah. Oh, no, I can never make it in prison. Like, I'd be fine. Like, I'd just try my hardest not to pick a gang. Yeah. And then, but fuck, you know, a bad day in a shower. That shit's over. I think you could do pretty good with all the CrossFit you've been doing. I mean, you could, (laughs) you can run from these people a lot faster. I I can out burpee them. <laughs> How'd you get out of the rape? I just burpeed and he got, I just kept burping. He thought I was having a seizure. And no. then, um, <laughs> I've been to jail way too many times. And uh, I'll say this the first time, because we were talking about the first time I ever got arrested, um, I was in Myrtle Beach and I had uh, gotten drunk at a nightclub. And I was, uh, I passed out in the club and then they threw me to some cops, right? And so as I'm, I'm like being manhandled by these cops, I'm just like, I was like, hey, man, I got to piss, dude. And he's like, you'll pee when you go to the station. And I was like, I got to pee now. And he's like, you'll pee when you go to the station. And then he put me in a paddy wagon, right? And there was three guys. There was, was with, I'm, me included. So there's three dudes, including me, um, in the paddy wagon. There's a dude that's awake. 
and a passed out dude and then me, right? And they throw me in the paddy wagon and they put the handcuffs uh, on frontwards so we can kind of brace ourselves while we're, we're driving to the station. But we're chilling there for a minute because I think they're rounding up more people to take to the station. And so I look at the dude that's awake. I'm like, dude, I got to piss, man. And he goes, just do it. So I start peeing in the paddy wagon. And then immediately when I finish up, I hear the cop that arrested me start screaming like, what the fuck? And he opens up the door and he looks at the two of us and he goes, he looks at the three of us and he goes, which one of you peed? And we both pointed the guy that was passed out. <laughs> nice. And he just grabs that dude and God only knows what happened. To him. <laughs> he might be dead. And it's probably my fault. Going into the next song, Jesus Just Left Chicago. And I, like you said, the blend between the first song, I really did enjoy. I, I, I had read that I thought, a lot of people thought it was a mistake, but I can definitely see why the producer would do it. And what I loved about this song is that it's just blues, it's spiritual, you know, it's, the, the references uh, are about Jesus, but that isn't what the song is about. It's say so what I read was that sometimes the guys would hear awesome blues music from a radio station in the South and it was bro being broadcast from Chicago. So the signal was so strong, it would be heard on a certain day all the way down South and yeah. some say all the way down to New Orleans. I've heard that. And they were saying it's so magical and heaven heavenly and spiritual to them that to hear such an awesome blues music being broadcast from so far away that they compared it to Jesus reaching them. And I mean, you can see that in the lyrics where it's then I then then I out to California through the forest and the pines. Oh, take me with you, Jesus. And then the chorus is you might not see him in person, but he'll see you just the same. You have you don't have to worry because taking care of business is his name. Yeah. So do you think because they're saying that Jesus in Chicago, where do you think Jesus would live if he was alive today? Because I don't think Chicago <laughs> Probably. It's a place. He, I mean, Jesus would probably want some warm weather. Yeah, Orlando. I was Orlando. I could see Orlando. Yeah. I was going to say Irvine. I just which are you talking about? Like the Jesus everybody thinks of, or my Jesus? Because I think my Jesus is in Memphis. What is the Jesus you think of? You well, think of, when I think of like the Jesus, like everyone thinks of, then it's like holier than thou. Like I have a hip Jesus that <laughs> smokes weed. <laughs> he probably would if he was alive today. Yeah, man. I He's like, yeah, that's why it's on the earth, yeah, bro. Like, that was the drug I wanted you to do. Yeah. Not this fucking Molly shit. Stop sticking the Molly pills in your ass. Yeah. Uh, I think Jesus would post up Orlando. Definitely a warm weather climate. Yeah. Irvine. I really do think Irvine because he'd want to be close to the big city, but Jesus would probably want like a nice piece of real estate. I think Pacific Beach, maybe. Pacific Beach, definitely. I, that's where I'd go. I mean, if I you, had Jesus money, how much money does Jesus he have? He has all of it. You think so? Yeah, I think he has all of it. I don't know, man. Well, I think he can just conjure it up. Going into the next song, Beer Drinkers and Hellraisers, your least favorite song yeah. on this record. But what I loved about it was there's a few songs on this record that are like stories. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And this is one of them. And it just talks about this wild place where they're doing a show. So let me ask you this. What is the wildest show you have ever done? I mean, for a million reasons, uh, Josh Blue and I headlined the Moore Theater in Seattle in 06 or 06, like right after the last comic thing. And uh, it was sold out. And 
Like he he's kind of, he had a bunch of people from there, and I just remember there was like a full on party in the green room, yeah, and a full on party side stage, and the audience was just insane. And I I ended up I think we both did like an hour. And you, just, yeah, was there any, besides you guys? Was there another opener? I think there was like a DJ that opened or something. But yeah, other than that, it was us. And I just remember being somewhat co- like we had a great time but it was like i was barely hanging on on stage oh really oh yeah well you do you smoke pot before you go on stage right not like i used to yeah like i smoke before i leave the hotel like i smoke right before i leave the hotel yeah but that still gives me an hour before i get on stage before. yeah you don't want it like i i can't get too stoned to go on stage yeah i, I mean, used to be the guy that was like they're saying my name hold this <laughs> <laughs> i do remember that yeah so so have you ever been at a show that you that you thought maybe your life was in danger yeah one in particular uh in kansas city when i was first starting out uh i just remember there was a big pots shortage in kansas city in like oh one or oh maybe oh oh and uh I was on the golf course and my buddy called and said, I can get you an ounce of weed. And it's only, they'll only sell you an ounce and it's 150 bucks. I mean, cause it's a pretty good deal. Well, I mean, it was shit weed. Oh, it was uh, a swag swag. God, yeah. I haven't seen swag in so long. Yeah. 2000 was definitely swaggy times. I would, I think, you know, what's funny is I don't think I've actually had swag since I had one friend in Baltimore that, that always got swag and we were like, dude, you know, it's evolved, bro. Yeah. Like you can get green weed, it man. Get you high, man. He's like, it's- nah, man. He's like, I like to roll blunts. This is cheaper. And I was like, no, the understanding is there. I get it. But you yeah. know, it's just so much the times. So wait, so you're buying the ounce for so 150, the, but I can't, I'm like, Oh, I don't, you know, I can't, I don't know if I can swing that with weed. And then immediately afterwards, the local club manager called and was like, Ricky smiley can't make it. Uh, his grandma died, so I need you to feature tonight for this local urban comic. I'm like, okay. And so I was like, weed's paid for because it was two shows. So I called the dude. I was like, I'm getting the weed. I show up first show. And this is what was happening. They were showing, the audience was showing up. They're going, Ricky Smiley's not going to make it. Here's free tickets to the next time he's here. We're having another show tonight. You're more than welcome to stay. You're more than welcome to go. First show, like 150 people stayed. It was a great show. Second show, out of a sold out show, 14 people stayed. And they were all super mad about it because they realized very quickly that they're the only motherfuckers. It's on a Tuesday. Like, yeah, all these people yeah, have to be yeah, at work yeah. in like four hours. Yeah, I get it. And so this one dude and just mean mug. It's from the moment I got up on stage, he's mean mugging me. And yeah. it's not going well. And it, like, it was just the only, he said something and I said something back to him. And he gave me, it was the only time ever on stage where I was like, I might be fucked on this one. Really? Like he might, if he can't, because he was front row. Like, even if they came, even if the bouncers got there, it was, it wouldn't have been in time. Yeah. And like, he was not having it. And it, for a good 10 minutes, I was like, this dude might kill me. What would this, the look in his eyes just were the, just. Just the look in his eye. It was just so certain. He was just like, I will kill you. And I was like, yeah, I, you might've already. Are you a fighter? Uh, I mean. If you, you got come, reach. If That's you what come I'm saying. At me, you're what? Six, five, six, four, you're six, four. And you got fucking reach, yeah. dude. You could just keep jabbing people to keep them away. Yeah. This dude was six, four easy and probably about two eighty. Oh, he would fuck you. Up, oh, dude. yeah. Yeah, dude. Bad... And that's not putting you down. I mean, the no, guy would murder me. Absolutely. But six, five, two eighty. Yeah. He was coming at me. And uh, I, that's that's fucking LeBron size. But also you can't like back down in front of everyone. And I just remember that whole set went terribly. I finally started getting them on my side. 
Yeah. And I made like, cause I abandoned all material and I'm like doing the hackiest shit <laughs> and I'm on black dicks, white dicks. And the one white dude in the audience is like, bro, I got a huge dick. I'm like, are, and I literally went, are you fucking kidding me? Like, I go, have you not seen this set so far? Can you just give me a pass on yeah. this one? <laughs> He's like, nah, man. Nah, fuck nah, you. Dude, fuck you, dude. My dick's huge. Let me get up there and show everybody. <laughs> so wait, so he says that, and then that goes down, then what happens? And then eventually, like, I think he came up to me afterwards and was cool and was just like, yo, I was just in a, I was out of line. Like, he, he, we were cool by the end of it. Yeah. But definitely for like 10 minutes, I thought my life was in serious danger. And it's hard to go back into material. It's not even like you to concentrate on your jokes. No. When you have someone death staring you. And it's just right in your peripheral and you can yeah. just feel it. Oh, I believe it. I actually recently at the Kibitz room almost got into a fight. Uh, I was doing Esther Steinberg's show. Yeah. I close it out. And as I show up, I do this bit. Uh, I do this whole like five minute bit about me owning a dog now and how great they are. And the audience is doing, you know, I'm getting laughter from the audience, but I can only hear the crowd that's to the right of me. So there's all these booths up against the wall at the kibitz room that I can't hear any laughter. Yeah. So I say to the crowd, I was like, I was like, why aren't you guys laughing? These people are having a good time. And this dude in the back yells out like, I got a dog. And he says it like that. And it reminds me of a coming to America with the guys like, you lie. You ain't never met Dr. Martin Luther the King. <laughs> so I say that back. And dude, all hell broke loose. Like really? that guy, he was like, you racist. I'm like, I'm not racist. And then we start, you know, he says some shit. I say some shit back. And at the time, I only, I only saw three guys. Yeah. Little did I know that there were 15 other guys that were with them outside. And so it starts getting bigger. I, the best riff I had, because they were scenesters, is I said, I said to him, shouldn't all you guys be waiting in line for a $600 Supreme t-shirt? And just the <laughs> crowd was into it. And then I tried to go back to material as I realized that it was like, this is bad. Yeah. And I was like, let me try. And I started doing a bit, and it comes to a point in the bit where I have to do an act out. And I was like, I just say to the audience, I go, I'm not doing the act out. I was like, I just can't. I was like, I don't have the the confidence in myself right now to do an act out after what's going down. And then I got off and then I went out to the little side room and like literally like six guys walked up and they were like, what the fuck's your problem, man? What the fuck is your problem? I was like, dude, we're just having a good time. You know, nobody is is making fun of any races. You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. you would let me do the rest of my set. I make fun of racism. Yeah. And and then he's like, well, we'll be out here waiting for your ass. And I just go, I'm going to go get some latkes then. I'm just going to go eat for the next uh, hour until you leave. And luckily, they eventually took off. Yeah. But the server came up to me. And he was like, dude, there were like 15, 16 guys out there waiting for you. So it was scary. It was definitely scary. The other hell gig I did was uh, I played a rave once. I had to do 45 minutes of stand-up at a rave. Get, why did you agree to do that? Because I was a year into stand-up. This is when we were playing together. I was okay. a year into stand-up. Here's what happened. year into stand-up, and my buddy uh, Evan runs this huge rave in Baltimore. And I was like, hey, man, uh, do you, I, see, I know you always have this one stage that has bands. I was like, maybe I could host that stage. He goes, perfect idea. It goes on for like 10 hours, so you'll be there all day. But I was planning on partying there the whole day, night anyway. So the day of the show, he calls me in the morning. He goes, hey, man, so don't worry about coming all day. He's like, I'm only going to need you at 11 o'clock. You're going to introduce the two biggest bands. You're going to bring the big band, one of the bands off, and then introduce like this, this band. I think they were called... 
It was either Lotus or like Sound Tribe Sector 9 or some shit like that. <laughs> wow, that's two completely different ones. And yeah, no. Well, I think, I don't know. I know that was, it was, one of them was Lotus and the other one was the Sound Tribe. I don't oh, know okay. who was the headliner. And I think Lotus was the headliner. But long story short, I, um, he's like, you're going to go up. When I get there, he's like, you're going to do 45 minutes. That's how long I need you for. And I went up there at that time. The guy introduced me. He was like, give it up for Jimmy Josh Adams. Like, fuck my <laughs> name up. I told him I did Let- Letterman. I was like, Yo, yeah. I did, you know, just give him a credit, please. Because the crowd, there's like a thousand people out there waiting for this band. I'm not just walking up there and not being introduced. And so I was like, just, I lied. I was like, tell him I did Letterman. And he brings me up. And then immediately I went through, this is a year in a stand-up. I probably had like five minutes of good material. Yeah. And I probably did that and my shitty material and the material I wrote about the rave within like the first four minutes. Oh, no. I just sped through everything. And I remember looking at my buddy being like, hey, man, how much how much time have I done? He's like, dude, you've only done like four minutes. And I felt like I had been up there for an hour. Oh, it was Christ. so bad. But luckily people started throwing shit at me. They threw uh, glow sticks. <laughs> Thank beers, God. But the glow sticks were fine because you could see them coming. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what, Chris? And this is why I think why I think they wrote this song uh, about this is because they survived that. Yeah. You survived that that show that where the guy was like, you know, I mean mugging you. And the fact that when we do that, that gives us confidence for when we're doing the good shows. Oh, absolutely. So I took whatever I could from it and just was like, nah, this is good. Uh, I'm going to learn from this somehow. And uh, I got through it. So going on to the next song, we have Master of Sparks, which I do love this riff. The opening is my favorite part with the drums. And when I started listening to the lyrics, they give you this whole story. And it's apparently a true story uh, about how in June 1976, Billy Gibbons and several other rednecks. Wait, wait, wait. This story is this song is about a story that happens three years later. Well, this is no. He told it to he told it to a magazine in 1976. Oh, okay, my bad. cool. Yeah, so he told it to a magazine in 1976 of several rednecks who would weld together a spherical steel cage, inside of which they had a VW Bug seat fitted with a seatbelt. They placed the cage into the bed of their truck, and at night, after reaching a speed of 60 miles an hour on Highway 6 in Houston, uh, they would propel the cage from the back with the hapless narrator taking a ride inside. And they said, if he lives, the passenger is granted the title Master of Sparks. <laughs> so what is the wildest shit you've ever done when you're fucked up? Oh, man. I don't even know. I don't think much. I've never been the crazy wild dude. I mean, you know, sh- shit's definitely gotten weird. But not, you know, just because of who I, you know, obviously the Verlander Mumford and Sons thing happened. You know, I've gotten drunk with a couple of the Presleys like shit weird, like through no fault of my own. I'm just yeah. like, the fuck is happening? Uh, but I don't know. I mean, in high school, we did all kinds of fucked up shit like uh, like we weren't even at a party. We were just drunk at his house. And my buddy had a geo tracker. Remember yeah. that? And he was just insane. And we decided to take that thing out into a cornfield, like with seven foot tall stalks. Yeah. And just drive. We couldn't see shit. And all of a sudden, the all of a sudden we hit a ditch and popped out. Luckily, 
But as soon as he did that, we're like, we're going home. But I mean, yeah, we just did fucked up shit like that. Just went into the woods and did stupid shit. Yeah, because you're living in Kansas City. I mean, that's still like there's the city. But once you go out into the you go 20 minutes, probably in another direction, you're in the middle of nowhere. Oh, absolutely. And that's where I grew up was 20 minutes in another Ah, direction. You lived in the middle of nowhere. I did live in the middle. Like my I didn't have farms. but My friends did Like, like that kind of shit. And we would go into, you know, we would just. My buddy had a backyard, and if we went far enough back, we went onto this other dude's property that didn't give a shit, and we could camp and fucking get shit-faced. Yeah. Hot, Blue, and Righteous, which is one of my favorite songs on this record. It's the first ballad on the record, and it also is a blatant ripoff of Little Wing. Uh, it, yeah, I mean, you, you it's definitely, I mean, yeah. it's just like, it, which very is, simplified version, very simplified, but which is funny because Jimi Hendrix was a fan of Billy. Oh. Like he really loved his music, but the solo underneath around about two minutes is perfect. And after listening to it, it could be used as the theme song to the democratic party. Absolutely. I don't know why they don't use it. They keep using like Fleetwood Mac or some well, shit probably like that. Tempo, probably tempo reasons. Like, give it up for Hillary Clinton. Hot, blue, and righteous. Like, no, nah, that doesn't have that fucking pump-up feel. The lyrics kind of, like, tell, like, a very simple story. But what I got from it was that it's about how people come into your life, guide you, and how important they are to you. So let me ask you, uh, describe to me someone that has changed your life by doing just that. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. You know, there was a friend of mine, Justin Leon, when I was younger, definitely did that uh, for a long period. And who was he? Just uh... He was just a comic, but, you know... Just a dude that was, you know, a few years older than I. Like a big brother I never had. Yeah. Definitely that, dude. When I came out here, KP Anderson, definitely for a little Love bit. Love KP, dude. Uh, was de- You know, I remember being at the improv, and he just walked up to me, and he was like, you know, this was in the middle of the last comic standing stuff. And he goes, I bet, he goes, are you on tour right now? I go, yeah. He goes, I bet you're doing a whole new 20 minutes, and everyone else is doing the same. And I was like, Yeah who are you? <laughs> and uh, he introduced himself. We, we, we become fast. We became fast friends and, and definitely a guy that I go to when I need advice. All right. Move me on down the line. Uh, I do love this song. I think this is so much fun. It is 100% about a car, yeah. and which I think every song by ZZ top kind of <laughs> has that car undertone. Uh, Cause when they say, uh, I heard the red rooster start crowing around the curve, that cloud of smoke was blowing. 
Tell me about your first car. My first car was an 81 Honda Prelude. Uh, Original rims? Yeah. <laughs> It's for a sickler. Uh, and then, um, but the car that made my chi- that made my youth was a 1970 Oldsmobile Cutlass convertible. Whose was it? it? Was yours? It was my, I got it as a gift uh, from my parents. Basically, what happened was my parents told me if I stayed sober through high school, they would buy me a car. Well, were you like using in middle school or like no? In high they just school, they or? were you know this was very just you know say no times. So they're just like here we'll just lay it out for it. We'll buy you a car. If you stay sober throughout high school. And then like my junior year, uh, they they started letting me drink because I wasn't going out enough. <laughs> they're like, no, we, dude, we said don't get fucked up. We want you to live a little bit. Yeah, they're bit. like, we want you to have friends. Yeah. Like, and uh, so like my senior year, my dad's like, uh, you know, you can get it early, but I got a line on this convertible if you want it. And I wanted nothing to do with it because I'd had older cars and they always broke down. And then I saw it. I was like, yeah, yeah, we can do that for sure. And, uh, yeah, so I drove it for probably, well, until I hit the road. So I was like 23, 24. So how many years did you have it? Probably five. Five years. And I, a- I just remember driving it, especially when I was still in high school, just down the back roads in Kansas. Just, did it have a good stereo system? No. But it didn't have it, any music? It had music. And I think, oh, I worked at Best Buy, so I put like two JBL5s in it. Because, yeah. I mean, that's all it had. And, uh, and I just put it in there, and we'd crank it. And uh, my buddy would, you know, we'd be smoking cigarettes and he'd surf on, in the back seat, and we'd just oh, have a good time. Best. It was so stand by me. It was ridiculous. I mean, my Jeep. Uh, would you remember my Jeep? Of course. It was, I had that car. I bought it in 2000, um, I think 2001. I bought it right in January of 2001. And I remember when I saw that car, it looked red. Because it was next to a green car. And I was like, I'm buying it. And I took it on a test drive and I bought it. And then when I brought it home, my dad walked outside and he was like, what color is that car? And I was like, oh, it's it's red. And he's like, that's not red. That's pink. Oh, no. And then I looked at the paper and it said mango. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> but I love that mango Jeep, man. Yeah. That mango Jeep, I, I'd still have it if it, never, if it never got wrecked. That was hands down. Like you're talking about how that Oldsmobile, when you talk, you think about some, oh, a special car. I tried to buy it back. Did you Because really? my dad ended up selling it to my Because I ended up trading it back to my dad for a minivan so I could go on the road. And then when my uncle bought it and I made a bunch of money, I was I went to him. I was like, I want to buy the car back. And he was like, and he was like nah. It's not for sale. <sighs> and, I was, and it's literally like, uh, I, I still like hold that against him. One hundred percent, I would hold that against yeah, him. Cause I and then he ended up selling it like three years later for like three grand because him and his kids had beaten it up so much. I mean, weren't you like close enough to him that you could be like, dude? dude. I would have given him ten. I would have given whatever he asked for it, but he wouldn't. He wouldn't have given it. What? I'm sorry, but it happens. I know. You know what else happens? Well, first off, before we move on to the next song, yeah. You know what this song sounds like to me? It's What's Thin that? Lizzy. Definitely. It's definitely got a Thin Lizzy tune to it. Oh, Moving On Down the Line is 100% Thin Lizzy. Yeah. It, it's, they're, they're, listen, they, I, I, I hear a lot of the influences through so far throughout this record. Yeah. Freddie King, the Lightning Hopkins, the, the Muddy Waters, John Lee Hooker. Like, I hear all of that stuff. One of the questions that, that we were thinking about uh, is, do you think black people, like black people that are that are that are like rooted in the, the the southern blues, like the original blues, do you think 
that they would like this record? Like the people that are true blues enthusiasts. I think they would like three of, you know, two or three of the tracks. I think they would like probably Jesus left Chicago. Yeah. And I think they would like LaGrange. Well, I think everybody likes LaGrange. It's, and that's the thing is like ZZ Top, when they hit, it's undeniable. Yeah. Like even if you don't dig Tush or, or uh, Sharp Dressed Man, if you're at a bar and they're playing, you're probably going to tap your foot. I was, I was listening to Give Me All Your Lovin' yeah. before you showed up. And I was like, dude, I mean, this is cheese ball, but it's so fucking good. Yeah. I just keep hearing every trailer from every movie I've ever seen where they throw that song in there. And it's just they're, the Sharp Dressed Man. Because what I remember about ZZ Top is them in the music videos doing that like weird arm thing where like the car drives by oh, yeah. and they all point in the same direction. I mean, it's like, I understand this is a respected rock band, but man, oh man, I mean that, listen, music videos from the 80s, I understand it, dude. They're all cheesy. The 80s like, were cheesy. Cheeseball McGee. And if, I mean, if you watch Journey Separate Ways, I have a five minute bit about them walking to that fight with their legs like oh. I've never seen. Like, this is how you're going to intimidate somebody in a fight. What's the other video where they just disappear and reappear on the docks? Who, ZZ Top? No, Journey. Oh, I don't know about that. It's the uh, only way I can't get past Separate Ways. <laughs> Precious and Grace. This is another one of their story songs, uh, and I love it when it kicks in at about minute 11. It is fantastic, but this is based on a true story that, that's integral to Trace Hombres. The story of a couple of not-so-nice girls that two out of three ZZs encountered early on in the band's history. Now, this whole story is verified, certified, but certainly not sanctified. Billy and Dusty had driven Billy's 69 Pontiac Grand Prix uh, to Rocky's Pawn Shop in Dallas on a mission to acquire the 1952 Fender Precision Bass that Dusty played on for many years. On the way back to Houston from Dallas, they noticed two girls hitchhiking, and they decided to do the nice thing and give them a ride. Well, these two girls were basically Precious and Grace, and uh, this is to say Precious, she had a big knife scar on her face. Grace was kind of a, you know... P&G occupied the backseat chatting with each other. It became clear to the guys that in the front that at least one of them had just been let out of prison nearby Huntsville. As the sky darkened, the girls directed the guys to a local makeout spot they referred to as Put Out Road. The girls propositioned the weary young rockers who were understandably spooked when they noticed a male figure holding a shotgun. Adrenaline told the guys to act fast, so the girls were immediately put pull, pushed out of the still-moving car as the fellas hightailed it back to Houston. Now, this is—I literally pulled this off uh, the internet, and I've and I've checked this a few times. But basically, this is about crazy women. Yeah. What, what is it about crazy women that men are attracted to? For whatever reason, crazy women know exactly what you want to hear at all. Like they're. They're always so cool at the beginning. It's like you sit down. They always, they're really good at making a connection. They're always like, you're like, oh, I've always looked for this in someone and oh, I yeah. finally found it in you. And it's not till you're halfway home that you're like, oh, fuck. Oh, my God. I you're mean, crazy. Have you dated a lot of crazy girls? I used to date crazy women almost exclusively. Like, I dated one for three years that I should have dated for about three weeks. And I bet we broke up and got back together 38 times. 
How did it end? You just were like, I can't do it. I remember. I remember she, because she would get drunk and she'd leave and she'd tell me we were done. And then she'd call me the next day like shit hadn't happened. So she's leaving my bedroom and I go, Brandy, you have no reason to believe this, but trust me, if you leave right now, it's fucking over. And she stopped. She looked at me for a beat and kept walking. And that was it. Good for you. I mean, I fucked her a couple more times. Of course, you yeah, have yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because it's crazy girls. It's the best sex yeah. you're ever going to have. And they'll just come over. Like, I used to get shit-faced drunk at the bars, and instead of calling a lift, I'd call her, and she'd pull up within 15, 20 minutes. And we'd go to some weird-ass ZZ Top-esque hotel <laughs> that was like 25 bucks. It was an extra 5 bucks if you wanted a TV remote. <laughs> and you got your 5 bucks back if you brought the remote back. That's hilarious. Uh, LaGrange. This is the breeze. This song is the reason this album is even known. And you think that's probably the, you know, the reason this is on the 500 list. This song is just so important. Not only that, but look at the landscape. Like 1973 had some of the greatest albums released ever. Like, uh, houses of the Holy gets released. Yeah. Dixie chicken gets released Two Beatles release albums. The Beatles themselves release two compilations. Elton John releases two records in 1970. Like the amount of like, if you look at albums released in 1973, you want 60% of them. Yeah. And it's just dark side of the moon comes out in 1973. I mean, well, first of all, the 70s is the greatest era for music. Especially ever. early. This is when music came into its own. This is yeah. when it went from the 60s coming out of the psychedelic period. And then you start having... Like real reach because of what was going on in the world. Think about this, you know, Vietnam. Like yeah. you just got, you just finished, you know, World War Two and the Korean War, and it's just you have the hippies or Summer of Love and, yeah. and everything's evolving. And I mean, all that music is just an like of the response to that. Yeah, and well, and at this point, Vietnam's just ended, and so like now they're just back to like I want to fuck and I want to get fucked up. Yeah, the first song's great. Uh, but this song is iconic, and it, it even sounds like it's better produced than any of the oh, other songs. Oh, 100%. Song. Like, as soon yeah. as it starts, you're like, what the fuck Just is this? Just everything about the riff, the ha, 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 everything. And the lyrics, just the way he, you know, when he's talking about, like, that hurt, they got some pretty fine girls. Like, it's it's so great. It's so great. This is a real place, by the way. Oh, really? And, and, well, LaGrange, the song, you know, it's about LaGrange, Texas, but there was a place called the Chicken Ranch. Uh, the Chicken Ranch also was the basis of the movie Best Little Whorehouse, or I think it's is it Little Whorehouse, Best Little Whorehouse, Whorehouse in, in Texas? Texas. Yeah, it's about that. And uh, the boys used to go there, and uh, it's just the song moves. It sounds like it was made for a fight. It sounds like it could be made for fucking. Yeah, a hundred percent. Both at the same time. Have you gotten a prostitute before? No. No? The only time I've ever thought about it was in Amsterdam. And like, it, like people were like, are you going to get a hooker? I'm like, no, nah, that's not my thing. But then I walked by the hookers. And you kind of like, have to. I'm like, these girls are so hot. I'd have spent 50 euro trying to fuck them anyway. Yeah. And so I'm starting to like, it's like kind of a thing. I'm still not really thinking about it. But the thing that the thing, the deal breaker for me was that you just go into their room and you fuck them in the room. You that they scared. And I, I'm just like, I'm, I don't trust your cleaning skills yeah but dude this is a this is like they have it like 
it's legit. They're they're HIV tested. I get like, it. This is a real business that gives money to the government. Like this is if you're gonna fuck a prostitute, it's in Amsterdam. It's in Amsterdam. But also, it's like especially at that time, I was getting plenty of vaginas, so it wasn't like I was hurting. Like I'd just been on TV for a summer, sure. So I was cool. Also, yeah, I remember seeing the dude. I met a guy. Me and my buddy met these dudes on a plane over to Amsterdam. They were from Liverpool. And one of them was like, I'm going to get a hooker. And then I saw him two days later, and he had been with eight hookers. Well, I mean, you know, when you got a nut, you got a nut eight times. Damn, dude. Damn. I got one prostitute in my whole life here in Los Angeles. Literally, not even like a football field away from right here. When I first moved to L.A., I I lived... Is that why you live, chose this place? No, I just love this street. I love living in the hills. And it it's is so really beautiful. Cool. It's just, just great. I was and coming up. You just see the Hollywood yeah, sign. Yeah, man. It's, it's, really it's gorgeous. And I was my cousin lived here, and I was, I was subletting an apartment uh, that was a little studio above the garage of the apartment complex. And so You're I like this, Kirk Cameron and Growing Pains. I mean, dude, it was if I, I would have taken that over if I would have had money at the time because the guy never came back. Uh, that who I was subletting it from, oh, but okay. I had already gotten another place. But this is also the time when I first moved to L.A., I was drinking and doing coke every night because I thought that's how you fit in. Yeah. You know, and I had uh, I had gone out with a few buddies. We were doing coke all night, and then I got back to my place, and usually the place, the way that I would fall asleep post doing coke is I would just try to get my penis erect, and then I'd try to masturbate, and it might take an hour but when I finally nut, I know, dude. I'm not proud of any of yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. This is old Josh. Yeah, this of course. This isn't new Josh. This yeah. isn't, you know, Beachwood with saying, a dog. Just physics involved. I mean, that's it would a chafe, lot of, dude. Oh. It would chafe. But yeah. but most of the time I couldn't get hard. But okay. if, once I got hard and then I can nut, I immediately fell asleep. I immediately fell asleep. Well, I was working for a TV show at the time. I was working for Keeping Up with the Kardashians, and they had just upped my kitty. So I had all this money that I needed to buy, you know, a craft service or for whatever that I was going to need on the shoot. They gave us a thousand bucks, and I had it was all in cash. And so I was just like, I'm going to get a prostitute. I was like, I I've never done it. Tonight's the night. When you're going to take money from hookers, use it on a hooker. Tonight is the night. Yeah, and I. And I remember I went on back pages uh, and I called this girl and um, she I'm like, yeah, so uh, if you want to come over, she's like, all right. And so then she calls me back immediately and she's like, hey, uh, just let you know, I don't have any condoms. Now, I'm coked up. I've never had a prostitute. So I am so like nervous that that this could be a cop or some shit. So I just go. Why would we need condoms? We're just going to hang out. And she goes, all right, motherfucker, get some condoms. And so I run down to the to the uh, 76. I buy some rubbers. And then I'm so nervous that as I'm waiting for this car to pull up, I'm literally like hiding in a bush just to see if there's like a sting going on or what have you. She comes in, very beautiful girl, a little Latina girl. And uh, she's like, listen, all right, so... I'll give so it's uh, $200 for the hour, 150 for the half hour. So I was like, well, I'll do a full hour because it might take, you know, a while, a while for me to get hard. And so I give her the money. I'm like looking out the window, Chris, like I am so nervous that the cops are about to break down my door. And with without a doubt, uh, this girl, uh, being that she was sexy, being that she probably knew how to arouse a guy on cocaine. Yeah. I was erect 
within like moments. And it was like BJ vaginal sex with a condom. And then I finish and she goes, Hey, so uh, you got 55 minutes left. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I was like, I think the guy who lives here might have Jenga or something. You want to do that? But no, when she stuck around, she rubbed my back and I got to like talk to her. And she was a very sweet girl. Yeah. Like she's got a kid and she's just trying to make ends meet. That's why I do believe that prostitution should be legalized and taxed and everything. People are doing it anyway. Yeah. I haven't done it since, but you know, if I go to Amsterdam, a hundred percent. That is such the fucking my first Sony of prostitution stories you were you expecting i went down to like skid row and like you know just not you know there's like a girl's like walking out on the side of the street like fishnets like how much you won't play and i'm i mean we used to do that we used to go down to washington dc and drive by um 14th street and there were all the prostitutes lined up but we were like 15 16 year old kids and all we wanted to do just the idea of seeing a prostitute knowing that this girl you know you give her money and she'll fuck you yeah oh my god so we just wanted to see it so i I, it's it's a fascinating business a fascinating world i used to watch fucking pimps up hose down oh yeah i love that shit dude all right chic is the next song on the record Okay song, like I said, it's... Uh, I felt like it was just like you're hanging out with ZZ Top like near a pool. Yeah, dude. Like what they're a, on vacation way to and they're it. just like, this is like... But the chorus is catchy as shit. It must have been a Babodowski. Probably my favorite song on the record is The Closer. Oh, yeah. Just a classic revival tune. Classic. That's a perfect way to... I was hoping you would say that right off the jump. Gospel... 100 percent uh such a good way to end this record but there's a disputed lyric uh that people have been trying to figure out because the the first lyric is have you heard about joe t moore okay now people they think that that might not have been actually what the lyric was but i did the research in the sick in the Sikh scripture jotty means light and is a term used to describe the Godhead, God's creation, or the state of highest spiritual experience. And in Islam, Amar, it's Arabic, is a mandatory payment in the form of money or possessions paid or promised to pay by the groom or groom's father to the bride at the time of marriage. And that means she legally became property. I just I don't know if ZZ Top. No, I think that's a little too deep for ZZ. A little, a little too. Like that's more of a George Harrison reference. Very, very George Harrison. Um, But I think it's a perfect way to end the record. And it was yeah, and I think that's a classic. Like definitely during that time, like all the Southern bands are like, for whatever reason, it's like you end with a revival tune. Like you just got to feel like like you're leaving church. A hundred percent. But what a great tune. And what a great like surprise at the end, because most of it's kind of cokey, very cokey. And then you get and you're like, oh no, it's Sunday morning. Ma, I'm with my ma. I'm I'm not as hungover as I thought I was gonna be. Like everything's working out. You want to do some facts? Let's do some facts. Give me all your facts and all your facts and facts and facts. <laughs> Lagrange. It's the first single off this record, Trace Hombres, but it also was the first single to chart for them as well. I don't know if you know this, in 1992, a lawsuit alleged that one chord song's signature riff had been stolen from one of the versions of bluesman John Lee Hooker's Boogie Chillin'. 
and the court ruled under the 1909 Copyright Act, an unpublished song was entitled to protection under what is known as state common law copyright protection until it either is published or is regarded by the U.S. Copyright Office. In the end, the court also found that once a song is published and the author has failed to register the work with the U.S. Copyright Office, the song is immediately immediately falls into public domain. So because of a fuck up, they got away with it. They got away with it. Oh, well, so let me cool. ask you, have you, uh, have you ever had any jokes stolen from you? Um, yeah, I mean, here and there, definitely throughout the time, uh, you know, Reese, the last time it kind of happened, this comic at the, uh, that I don't even really talk to anymore because of it. It was like, like he did a joke where I basically, it was very obvious that he had heard my joke and then all, and then did all the jokes I didn't do. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I was just like, and I saw it and I was just like, well, I don't have shit to say to you anymore, but you know, you confronted him. No. Cause it's like, what do you say? I mean, it's a weird argument. It's like when you go, dude, you did all the jokes I didn't do. Like you're basically doing my bit, but you're just, you've just changed. So everything. he took the premise. It's just that he didn't go with your punchline. He didn't go with my punchlines. Yeah. And so, but it was basically the same joke. And then, uh, and then, yeah, I had a younger comic who's a friend of mine literally put one of my punchlines in his punchline. And I, like he walked off stage. I go, man, that sounds really fucking familiar. And he's just like, Oh fuck. I'm like, yeah, dude. And so listen, I get it. Like sometimes we, sometimes we just sponge things and like we hear something, we don't really realize that we say yeah. it again. Like I totally understand. And, but I didn't really like the first guy that much anyway. So, so when he did that, I was like, fucking yeah, whatever. Like just, it just gives me reason to not talk to him. But also, like, you know, Bob Seger ripped off, like, four of his biggest tunes. Which ones? Uh, Night Moves. There's, like, three of them. And, but he ended up just giving the dude all the, a bunch of money. Like, the guy never sued him, but he was like, hey, man, I know what I did. And here's I mean, that's what Led Zeppelin basically did. I mean, they, well, they got they, sued. They too. did get sued. But I mean, to a point, it's like, you know, I think in some of the songs, they've added the people that actually wrote the songs that they pulled it from just to give them credit. Well, and I know like Kid Rock told me he accidentally stole one of the Band of Heathen songs and he pulled him into a studio. He's like, I think I fucked up. And he, he goes, is this your song? And they were like, yeah, he goes, all right, I'm going to give you half the publishing of my song. Good for him. Yeah. All right. They are the longest running American rock band with no member changes. And all three members were born in 1949. So it's almost like it's kismet. And they were 19 years old when the band started. What is the longest relationship you've ever been in, creative or romantic? Um, hmm. I don't know if I've been in a lot of creative relationships. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've just never worked with anyone for a long period of time. You know, I dated that one girl for three years, and unfortunately, I guess that's the longest one. But, um, yeah, that's about it. Gibbons recently revealed that he and Hill were once offered $1 million to cut off their facial hair. Yeah, by mock. Yeah, and they declined it. They did. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from NoFX, and Ian MacKay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, 
Peer pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. So that leaves me to this question. How much money would it take for you to suck a dick? Oh, uh, it'd be in the billions. Billions? Yeah. Not a million. No, fuck You would no. be that? Dude, I, I think I'd, I'd do it for a million. You I mean, can't get a house in L.A. for a million. Doesn't mean I can't. It's a million dollars. After taxes, it's 600 Nobody. No, but there's no taxes. That's in my clause. Oh, okay. There's no taxes. It's tax-free. Ta- it's it's tax free. tax I'm still not doing it for All a All right, million. well, then it's $2 million and there's taxes, so they give it out. No. So a, over a billion dollars? Yeah, man. Because no it's one like, knows. You still got to go to. Everyone knows. No one knows. Everyone knows. Not. No, I'm serious. There's, There's no, no way you suck a dick for two million dollars that he doesn't tell somebody. No, he doesn't. At least he tells his accountant. Okay, his Where'd accountant. Where did two million knows? go? I got a blowjob from a straight dude. Dude, I bet if you, if somebody said, "Hey, uh, I just, I got a million dollars. I just got a million dollars for sucking a dick." I bet people would be like. Yeah, I'd probably do it for if actually a million. If I was into sucking dick, but like that's one of the grossest things to me. Oh, 100%, yeah. yeah. I'm, not, I'm not like excited about it. Like I'm not even like, even when dudes are like, dude, if you sucked your, if you could suck your own dick, you would. You're like, maybe once. And then once you came in your own mouth, you'd be like, no, no, no this no, is yeah, the I would, worst. You know, I would, that's, that would be another rule that the nut would, I'd have to shoot the nut over my shoulder. Oh. Okay, but so. I would think for two million, he's going to not want to mess. I don't know, man. I mean, I got to talk to the guy first. But, yeah. I mean, we got to work out the contract. <laughs> so. <laughs> the band took some time off from 1977 to 79, which is when Gibbons and Hill started growing out their beards. Frank Beard is the only member who does not have a beard. Which is hilarious. And I, that is the funniest Shit, dude. I, yeah. I wonder if they he started trying to grow his beard out, and they were like, "The fuck you doing, it's man? It's all patchy, nah, dude. We we you got the last name. Yeah. we're living it. You dude. are a beard." Jimi Hendrix called Gibbons one of America's best young guitarists on the Tonight Show. A quote that made many take note of Billy's talents. With his band Moving Sidewalks, Gibbons opened some shows for Hendrix in 1968. Uh, what has been uh, a defining opportunity for you? Um, I mean, last comic was kind of, uh, just for popularity reasons. It didn't really define me as a person. Um, man, I don't know. Let me ask you this. Let's change subjects. Uh, have you ever played with one of your idols? Yeah. I got to sing with the crows during a sound check. Really? Yeah, it was the most fucked up, and I fucked it all up. Uh, but we were, were you just like nervous. Yeah. Or, well, I mean, how can they, you not? And how they, can you not? I was nervous. They were playing a song. I didn't really like. It was one of my. It was gone from the first song off Amorica, and they were doing sound check. I'm standing off side stage. Chris walks off. Rich looks at me and not like nods me over to the fucking microphone. Yeah. And I said no, and he he nodded me again. So I went out there. And I tried to sing. I just didn't know where we were in the song, and uh, and it you know it just turned into a giant clusterfuck. But you know it was fun while I was out there for two seconds. But yeah, that was super fun. Do you not remember the words, or you were just so? I well, I knew what the words were. I just didn't. They had been playing the tune for a while, so I thought they were like at the second verse or the third verse, and I didn't really know like when to start. Sure. And uh, you know they were just laughing at me. It was fun. I've jammed with. Um... Because I, I became friends recently with Sean Lennon. Okay. Uh, I was, my friend was having a party, and uh, she wanted me to sing. 
yeah. uh, at her studio. And I was like, no, I do not want to go up there. And and then finally, she's just she keeps sending people out because I'm smoking a cigar with Bill Burr, and she's like, "Get Josh, I want Josh to uh, to come in here and sing." And finally, after like five six askings, I go in, and we did um, what did we do? We did some. They were playing a blues riff, so I started just making up lyrics like I do. And then because uh, Tall had had bought tacos, I started taking the lyrics into this very like thanking her for the tacos and it was so funny because all the musicians when i first met them were not giving me anything yeah like they were i was like hey i'm josh all right whatever and then the second they saw i had chops yeah and i was able to like make this song up i mean it was one of the best moments of my life to see them switch from like all right fuck this guy to Dude, what is your name how long have you been playing music yeah you just live in the moment and i think you know, if I was jamming with my favorite band, yeah, I, I think I don't even know if I'd be able to do it. I mean, it's just so I could just imagine being as a fan of the Black Crows and then being like, all right, you know, what are we doing? You want me to do She Talks to Angels and the actual singer of it is right next to me. Well, the best was uh, we're on the bus and we're, we're going to another gig and they're, the tour manager's playing like a bunch of B-sides off Lions. Yeah. And then she plays this one song that's on the record, and Chris goes, "Wait, what's that?" And I go, "What do you?" And I'm drunk. I go, "What do you mean, what's that?" I go, "That's track four off the record. It's no <laughs> use line." He's like, "I don't remember it." They play it. I sing every word to him, and he's sitting next to me, and he's he watches me do it, and like halfway through, I'm like, "I'm singing this song to Chris Robinson," and he's enjoying <laughs> it. It was the bet. And then he came on the bus the next day. He goes, and the band we we're all sitting up front. And he was like. Do y'all remember No Use Lying? And they're like, yeah. He goes, I completely forgot about it. Porter knows every word and every inflection. And then like two two days later, it was on the set list. Oh, that's great, yeah. dude. Yeah, you influenced that. Beautiful. Um, all right, we two more. Uh, ZZ Top appeared in the 1990 movie Back to the Future Part 3 as a square dance band. Do you remember that? Yeah, yeah, they're, they're at the fair, and he shoots the, the pie. song, dude. They spin the guitars, remember? Yeah. yeah, dude. There's like fireworks going off behind him. Now, you actually, because uh, the question is, do you have any cameos? Uh, you have a cameo in album liner notes, right? Yeah, the War Paint DVD. Isn't that insane? Dude, it was the crazy. Have you told them that? So oh, yeah. Explain I them what it, it is. Explain to them what so it is. So if you buy the Black Crow's War Paint DVD, which is like a live thing from the Wiltern, and if you open up the casing and then you pull the you pull the DVD out, you see me giving the peace sign, Dan Gabriel is to my right, and Molly Schmink is to my left. Yeah. And it's it like when I got the DVD, I was like, hey, that dude looks, that's me. That's totally me. <laughs> All right, final one. ZZ Top played their first ever concert on February 10th, 1970 at a Knights of Columbus Hall on the old US 97 outside of Houston. The gig was booked by Beaumont radio personality Al Caldwell of KLVI, who would later also broadcast the band's first recordings. When the curtains opened, there was just one person in the audience. Billy Gibbons recalled to Q Magazine, we shrugged and pressed onwards, we took a break halfway through, went out and bought him a Coke for their first gig. 
Tell me about your first stand-up gig. First stand-up gig ever was an open mic night in Kansas City. Uh, like, <laughs> I just remember I was working as a telemarketer in Lawrence because I was going to KU, and I had asked for time off before, and no one had ever looked at the thing because I'd even be like, I'd tell my boss, like, I'd, I'd reference why I was leaving, and he'd be like, what? I'd be like, oh, the reason I'm asked for the day off. Didn't you read? He's like, no, I just gave you the day off. So I was taking the day off to go do stand up. And so I was like, fuck it. I'll just write it down. They don't look at it. And yeah. I put it in 20 people from my office show up and they just really, yeah. And I'm like, what the fuck are you doing here? And they were like, they told us you were doing stand up, and we all think you're going to be hilarious. So I went up there. I don't remember what the fuck happened. It went. Okay. I guess. It always goes okay, the yeah. first, because you have nothing to compare it to. Well, and you're just excited, and yeah. you're just like, ah! And then uh, I won the, you know, when you stack the audience, I won the little contest, and I remember that got me to, I got to do a guest spot on the Sunday show, and it was for the Incredible Wid, the Amazing Wid, or something like that, the old prop comic who was fucking hilarious. Never heard of him, but I love his name. Uh, but yeah, I just remember, that was, that was gig one. And so how long ago was that? That was uh, June of 98. Good God. Yeah. My first gig, 2007. No, I'm sorry, 2005. I actually know, six, Jesus Christ. 2006, I had finally gotten the guts to do stand-up, and I had um, I had uh, looked up where the open mic was one night because I was doing coke, and everybody's like, you're so funny, you should do it. And I had always wanted to do it. So I remember I went up onto, uh, I think it was like Chuckle. What was that website? Like Chuckle. Not, what's, what do they call a girl that sleeps with other? Chuckle fucker? It wasn't Chuckle fucker. It was like Chuckle something. There was this website, and I found the open mic. It was at this place called Wise Acres. And I remember I showed up the night. They did two open mics, Tuesday and Wednesday, and I showed up, and it was packed, dude. And my name wasn't selected. And I go up to the host at the beginning and go, listen, man, I've never done stand-up before, and I didn't make the list. And I was like, if, and if you don't put me up there tonight, I don't know if I'm ever going to do it. And he was like, you'll close out. Oh, cool. And, and he went up, and I, I did a blatant Dane Cook ripoff. Nice. Um, I remember the first joke. I said, uh, give you an idea when the timeline was. I was like, so uh, Mel Gibson's in the news uh, for being uh, anti-Semitic. Uh, it actually makes sense to me because there were no Jews in the Road Warrior. <laughs> and then I was like, could you imagine if Jews were in the Road Warrior? It would be like, why do we have to wear all this leather? What's with the feathers? I don't like this. Lord Humongous, can we can we go back to the hut and stop chasing people? That's really funny. Thank you, buddy. But now imagine that with no confidence. Oh, okay. This is me saying it at fucking, uh, you know, I'm 11 years in right now, yeah. bro. I mean, I would hope that I could reef. Like, I still go back and look at my old notebooks and I go, that's a good premise. Oh, and yeah. now I can do it because now I'm a mature enough comic that I know that I can go up there and work something out or at least take a premise and find even more humor in it. Are you using any material from when you first started? No, and just be using, but like premises. I don't even think I have any of those notebooks anymore. There's just been so many moves. And also for a long period of time, I didn't really write. I just, it would come to me and then I would just remember it. And then I got older and that stopped. So now I have notebooks, but early on, I don't, I didn't write a whole lot. I yeah. Just, I just, what was your first joke? Oh, it was something stupid like, oh, I'm a virgin, but not that kind of virgin. You know, something 
like you know, and I think I was both kinds of virgins. What would the other virgin be? Like, like a daiquiri? I like I'm a comedy virgin, not a right, not a oh. sex virgin. Oh, okay, yeah, dude. Yeah. I, you know, you can yeah, work on it, workshop yeah. it. Well, you know, <laughs> you might be able to get it. Chris, I love you so much. I know you got to get out of here. Oh, yeah, dude. This this was fantastic. Buddy. I had a blast. The whole the whole process was great. So thank you. You, I've got I've got uh four hundred and uh four hundred and eighty nine left. So I think you'll probably be back on. All right, great, man. I can't wait. Chris Porter, guys, a fantastic episode. If you want to find Chris Porter, go to chrisporterisfunny.com. Comedian Chris Porter on Facebook, and I am Chris Porter on Instagram and Twitter. That's I am Chris Porter on Twitter and Instagram, guys. Make sure you get his new one-hour special, A Man from Kansas, which will be available April 16th. On iTunes, Amazon, Dish, Comcast, whichever way you get it. Also, January 18th through the 20th, he's going to be at the Dayton Funny Bone. And January 24th through the 27th, he'll be at the Kansas City Improv. I'll also be posting his mixtape track listing. And uh, that's going to be on all social media and all music platforms. And his, I mean, you got to listen to this guy's music. It's get inside Chris Porter's musical mind, y'all. It's the shit. Email the podcast at 500podcasts at gmail.com. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media. And if you want to check out which shows I'll be on, because I'm actually headlining the rec room in Huntington Beach this Saturday, uh, all tickets are on my website at joshadammyers.com. And you can find everything 500 at our website, the500podcast.com. I've said it a million times. Subscribe. We need you. Subscribe to your favorite platform, whichever way you guys get podcasts. But subscribe, rate, and give it a five-star rating and review. Also, we're doing our first live taping, guys. It's going to be at the Moon Tower Comedy Fest. It's going to be April in Austin, Texas. This is one of the best comedy festivals in the land. Moon Tower Comedy Fest, guys. You'll be able to see me do stand-up, do a goddamn comedy jam, and most importantly, a live 500. Also, if you want to plan a trip, guys, we're doing the first goddamn comedy jam of the year. Is going to be at the Roxy here in Los Angeles on March 20th. Get tickets. Come to the goddamn comedy jam and also I'll be doing a shimmy shimmy uh, at the comedy store on January 22nd also we created a club it's called the 500 club not to be mistaken by the 700 club which is a weird Christian right group we give away merchandise t-shirts hoodies live chats with me and my guests and as long as you sign up for the club you get access to full uncut episodes interview extras all one day early on record store tuesdays so sign the fuck up join the movement the 500 club is the shit do it the 500 podcast.com backslash club for all details on patreon membership and, and options for you to support the 500 support me man Support me. Now, we just listened to ZZ Top from 1973. 
Now here is an artist that is directly influenced by this album. From South Carolina, we have Marcus King Band with their song Homesick. I want to thank my buddy Dean Del Rey for recommending them to me. They're incredible. Follow them on social media and follow Dean Del Rey at Dean Del Rey on all platforms. I love this band. I love this songs. All of this band's details are going to be on our website. And if you're in a band and were directly influenced by one of these albums or artists and you want your music featured on the 500, send your song to 500podcast at gmail.com. Make sure you put the album and the artist that influenced you in the subject. Next week, it's Kiss Week mwah, with their 1976 album, Destroyer. So you guys got some homework to do. Thanks for tuning in. I'll talk to you on the flip side.
Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers, all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Next Chapter Podcasts.